It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, you dealing with the X Factor. I got everything I ever Yo. wanted, and I'll never Yo. give that back. Yo. Oh, I know you hate the X Factor, but you ain't gotta look at me like that. I said you ain't gotta look at me Ladies like and that. gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. What you looking at? It will be televised. What you looking at? You run around pulling stunts like that. See, never in my life could I front like that. I ain't caught like that. I couldn't run like that. I'ma keep it not fiction and take my hat. Oh, you never Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first East Meets West of 2024. Talking about the first big wrestling show, one of the bigger shows of the year, uh, the start of the year that isn't the Royal Rumble. Here to talk about Wrestle Kingdom. 18 or Wrestle Kingdom X8 if you want to get serious about it. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Scott McLeod, joined as I am always by the Walker Stewart to my Chris Charlton, <laughs> Graham McRobbie. It's a great time to be back. What a, what a show. Stick your day one up your shiter. It's all about <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. And yes, get it round you as well, Tony Khan, you bell end. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because we talked about, we were talking, it's all it's been a big talk of conversation the last couple of days in our ESSR group chat about what Tony Khan's been up to. You know, he's been airing his festivist grievances a bit too late in the year for, uh, for I like, and, you know, going on a bit, fucking dragging poor Jinder Mahal. Like, Jinder Mahal's like, what have I ever done to Tony Khan? Tony Khan forgot the key rule of the internet you don't hinder gender. I know. Looking, he's trying to defend Took and everything, and uh, he's having a go at everybody for you know. Even though people, I'm, not, I'm sure there's a good chunk of people who probably didn't want to see Jinder Mahal or no interest in Jinder Mahal wrestle for the World Heavyweight Title, but now he's made everyone say, "Okay, I want to see Jinder Mahal fight for the World Heavyweight Title." <laughs> go on, Jinder. <laughs> go on yourself, Jinder. I mean, I'm, I'm also looking forward to Hook v Samoa Joe, but. It's not as if I, I'm preferencing one match or the other. It's just the scene what er, what Elodie, I was going to say Eric Bischoff, because Eric Bischoff's been getting involved in the whole Tony Khan thing, so much so that he quote reached responding to one of Tony Khan's tweets asking, is this the real Tony Khan or is this a bot? <laughs> like, this can't be real, surely. And then he, he said a tweet uh, calling Buddy feeling Eric Bischoff out of his face and calling my husband, and then but he Bischoff sent him a gif of that time during the fucking pandemic daily space era where Eric Bischoff made an appearance on AEW Dynamite. Like, oh, it's a deal. you had this husband on your show that one time. Uh, the, the actual irony of the fact that he's calling it Eric Bischoff as a, as a failure that has been 
and Tony is in danger of doing an Eric Bischoff if he continues his behaviour. I know. Like, I know what Eric Bischoff's trying to get at. I know there's a good section of the internet who don't want to hear from Eric Bischoff, but, you know, like Tony can, like you said, he said, he should try not to be like Eric Bischoff rather than just yelling at people like Eric Bischoff. And somebody commented that it was either small dick energy that he was going off on with. Uh, and like, with these cheats, I went, no, this is, this is what's called cocaine energy. <laughs> It's, and it's clearly the dodgy cocaine. You know, usually Tony's just a bit excitable and not really out to get anyone. He's just a bit erratic. But this time, he's crossed the line. Oh, yeah. And not in the TNA way. Which uh, <laughs> Tony can, uh, which uh, everybody has compared AEW to in a lot of ways as well. I'm like, don't drag TNA into this. They're about to kick off. They're, they're, having their umpteen, they're having their newest reboot, which looks like to be a good one. They're unveiling all new belts and everything. Don't fucking drag TNAs into this just because it was shit when you were there. <laughs> exactly. Leave the memories alone. Blue. Just leave the memories of Hogan and Dixie Carter where they belong in the bin. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about everything going on in Japan. And before we do, we be sure to follow each suit of retreat. We will not be hindering gender on our social media platforms at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You name it, we're on it. Uh, at Suplex, we should join the Facebook community page. Maybe if you feel like getting the conversation, you can give us your thoughts on Tony Cat or on the idea of gender getting a world title match. And you can also keep up with us on all good Android podcast sites, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts from. Give us a like, rating, or review on your chosen platform. Catch the latest episode of East Star Central with myself and my brother Ross previewing TNA Hardtail, talking about the fallout from World's End in AEW and then really undisputed kingdom. We talked briefly about uh, about Wrestle Kingdom and the big fallout from that, about uh, Nick Nemeth's uh, appearance and everything. Uh, listen to Ross narrowly get his way through it, pronouncing all of the names of people on this card. I had to step in for a few names. must not be Kaito Kiyomiya because I thought, like, I can't let him even attempt this. He'll make it. He'll cause an international incident. Thank God we avoided that. <laughs> we get we get enough trouble with the international instance on the holidays to Turkey and stuff. <laughs> uh, also, we got yeah, so Sad Draft Live. Uh, by the time you hear this, the latest feature show, the first feature show of twenty forty four, should be out talking about Ray Mysterio, the deadbeat dad of Dominic Mysterio, and maybe a strange father of Tom and Nick Mysterio. Our truth is anything to go by. And we'll have all sorts of features. We've got a Rumble quiz coming out towards the end of the month. We'll have a talk of TNA. We'll have a best of TNA show coming out in February. I believe March is planned to be a show all about demolition. So all sorts of content to come. And we and Grant will have a lot to talk about on this show and then subsequent uh, episodes of the next couple months of what uh, New Japan's announced for their next tour. Is anything to go off of? But Grant, we don't. When we start this episode, we don't start necessarily in. New Japan, there's stuff going on outside, you know, people within the sphere that are covering New Japan have started calling, had called last week Wrestle Kingdom Week, because there was a Noah show which had some New Japan talent on it, then January 4th, and then uh, we had this next night with New Year's Dash and everything, but kicking off with Pro Wrestling, they held their New Year's show on the 2nd of January, but, you know, as someone who watches wrestling as much as I do, I really should not be adding new promotions to my already 
uh, schedule of wrestling that I already watch. I only keep up with mainly WWE's main shows be a highlight for the most part, but I also watch TNA and New Japan and everything. But uh, after downloading, res- subscribing to Wrestling News, I was getting a one-week free trial, which I then su- subscribed to a proper subscription uh, so I could catch the New Year's show. I ended up watching a few shows in their back catalogue. And I think in 2024, I'll be watching a lot more pro wrestling. No, I've suddenly become a convert over to pro wrestling, no, as well as New Japan, because, you know what? There's actually a lot of stuff going on here. And this show on January 2nd, despite the, the stuff, the shambles around the main event and one of its participants, was one hell of a card that you guys... Yeah, definitely. Like, pro wrestling, Noah has... For quite a long time, felt like they kind of like it. It felt like New Japan had the monopoly in Japan over all the promotions, uh, despite them all having big histories and big things. But Noah in twenty twenty three, even I noticed was getting talked about more and more. And they had they obviously the big anniversary shows, and they were all kind of collaborating. And now Japan's wrestling groups have kind of collaborated together to secure a better future for them. And even us, we've got some representation in Noah. We've got some mm-hmm. homegrown talent doing pretty damn well out there. Mr. Jack Morris. Yes, Jack Morris, part of the... <laughs> basically, Noah's answer to just five guys, they've got good-looking guys. I'm pretty sure there was even a promotion of six-man tag when they did that all-together show, which I remember at the time thinking, did they just do this whole crossover show just so we could get this match-up? Because I was all for it. <laughs> It's wild. What, what is he? Is he not still? Let's see. Was he still? Is he still champion over there? Oh, he's a double champion over there. He and yeah. Anthony Green. Remember him? He was briefly him, buddy Alex Zane and Anthony Henry all got hired to be part of like two five live and part of NXT. And within six months, they all got released in that big exodus of twenty twenty one. Then Anthony Green went over to to Noah. He and Jack Morris uh, become. The tag team champions and Jack Morris at the end of last year also became the GHC national champion, which is one of their mid car belts. So, big Jack Morris is the double champion. He's also the youngest ever champion of the, with yeah. that with that belt from the Mets. That's pretty damn impressive. What's also impressive is when you see Anthony Green, a man who's actually only two or three years older than Jack Morris, yet somehow looks somehow looks ten years older than him. I don't know how that's possible, but. They were on a big six-man tag on that show alongside Jake Lee, former GHC champion in his own right, former All Japan Triple Crown champion, who had this new Uncle Howdy-esque look with his top hat and a monocle. He stuck to the ring thinking, look at me, bro, I say, Noah, I have a new hat. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> also, there's a tag team who lost the GHC junior tag titles on the show with the best names I've ever heard of any luchadors, Alpha Wolf and Dragon Bane. <laughs> It sounds like a kid's comic book come to life. It really does, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was some, like I said, some New Japan representation on here. You had Tommy Hiroshi defeating Masaki Amiya and Satoshi Kojima losing to Goshi Izaki. Sorry. Uh, we also had uh, Ogawa and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Hayata and uh, Hiroshi in a little preview of their match coming up at Wrestle Kingdom. And we had the 6 on 6 Probably not a New Japan versus House of Torture match, where thankfully Shota Umino, uh, Koto Kiyomiya, Orhei Oiwa, and their pals uh, managed to defeat the House of Torture. He even had a cool moment where it was elimination over the top rope, pin or submission. He had Renneria with a chokehold on Shota on the apron, and Shota just sacrificed himself to get rid of uh, 
they were around where he just dropped off the apron and they both fell off and they both just continued fighting to the back. And all was well in the pro wrestling universe. Oh, yes. Uh, one of the English commentators uh, for Noah were really getting up in arms about the fact that it was a New Japan referee refereeing it, but it came down to a two-on-one uh, for Kaido Kiyomiya against Yujiro and Evil, managing to defeat them both. He helped, helped secure the win against Evil by kicking him in the, the rope into his balls and then hitting a shining wizard to knock him off the apron. And then we saw him on his performance before their loss at the Tokyo match. Almost, they were even saying, it's Kaido Kiyomiya somehow the antidote to the House of Torture because seems to be one of the only people to get a decent leg up on the House of Torture so far. Uh, who'd have thought to get the the leg up in the House of Torture, you had to be outside of Gado's booking? I know, you had to, you had to outsource. This is just some outsourcing to independent contractors to get it. But yeah, it seems way why. It's New Japan, they run Russia, where it's a pro wrestler, no guy like, nah, get to fuck. Because I was kind of worried, because sometimes when they do these promotional matches, you know, crossovers between... Uh, pro wrestling, no, in New Japan, it doesn't always work out well for pro wrestling. No, I mean you look at the last couple of the Wrestle Kingdom shows where they did the crossover. New Japan keeps coming out on top of those ones. You had Okada basically demolish Kaido Kimia while he was champion on the same card where bloody Hiromu came up as junior champion, defeating their junior champion. And I was worried, oh, they're going to let the House of Roger come over and no and say like, no, they are New Japan guys, they must win. But no, thankfully New Japan saw then like, oh yeah, you can lend you the House of Roger, you can definitely beat them. That's it. Give them, give them a wee smack about. It's all good. Mm. Doesn't count. Doesn't blemish them here. I know. I was actually surprised to see Tommy Hirishi win his match because he seems to be somebody much like Suzuki who can be loaned out to another promotion and his family won't be bothered if they don't win. But he won his match against Kiyomiya and you know, you don't want, if you're not interested in watching Japanese wrestling for your five-star matches, then if you watch this, you'll get 50 minutes of big, meany men slapping meat. <laughs> Big meaty men slapping meat. I don't care about oh. your five stars. Just big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> Gushizaki winning against Kojima was done because he went on to challenge Keno for a match on the 13th, which I think may have happened by the time you hear this, uh, depending on when we get it up, after Keno defeated Manubisoy in a 28-minute banger. I recommend you guys go check out. But So he had to set up a match there, so he had to get strong. But... All this great work that Noah has been doing on this card, and recently, you know, when I subscribed to Wrestle Universe, the first match I watched was uh, the first big show I watched was the Marafuji retirement or no retirement, the anniversary show. Uh, when we had that match with Osprey, oh, that match did not disappoint. But uh, Marafuji was did not repeat the same year and a 33 minute match where he wrestled Kota Ibushi, who already had a one injured ankle going into it. And I've not even been able to bring myself to watch the film match. I just watched highlights of it after I've seen that injury. But that moonsault to the outside where Kobe clearly fucks his other ankle and continues to wrestle the 30-minute match on two fucked ankles. And Mara Fuji, there's points you can clip it and you can see him. He looked pissed off. Uh, it's like Ibushi has never been right since he came back from injury. And he was absolutely honking mm. in this match, and it's really, it's a shame because Ibushi, and God, Ibushi at his peak was a fucking killer to watch. Mm-hmm. So to see this happen, it really it really was. I mean, this was this was a dream match. 
and mm-hmm. it just it, it could not have fallen any further from expectations if they tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, like there was a whole segment with Kaito Kiyomiya and Jake Lee afterwards, kind of rallying the Noah flag and wanting to you know be some of the faces of Noah, and they kind of just gave this look to Bush. I'm sure this was already planned to happen, but the look they gave him is to say, "Get the fuck out of our ring, you!" That was an absolute disgrace. And you know, Kevin Diggett, Kaito Kiyomiya, but I saw one Twitter post that said like. When Kobayashi looks like he could get battered off a of Kaito Kimi, you know he's definitely fallen. <laughs> and so the Golden Lovers are both out with unfortunate circumstances right now, and it's a shame. It really is. Yeah, because we, you and I talked about it, you know, off, uh, via messenger and everything. But like, you know, you can expect you know guys like them to wrestle the style that they were wrestling for so long in Japan, and like kind of, kind of carried over, especially during his big motto multiple championship run uh, back in 2021 and not expect eventually it's going to catch up with you, those bumps and bruises and the injuries will catch up and you're eventually not going to be able to be the same guy and like Kenny learned that the hard because he went really hard when he had that run with multiple belts and then had to go off and have multiple rehabs for a day he said if I get one more major injury I, I may have to reconsider my career and then he came back Took him a while to like, find himself again as he was starting to get back up. He got sucked into the Jericho vortex, <laughs> and then with all the NDAs involved in that, and he then gets the diverticulitis, which if I had the choice between a painful condi- condition like diverticulitis and team with Chris Jericho, I take the diverticulitis, <laughs> and then and then Abushi, I think he admits, he puts the injury he got in the twenty twenty one G one Clerics final to that he hadn't done that Phoenix Splash probably since he'd put on extra like muscle mass to make him more of a heavyweight so he was a bit off so he fucks his shoulder we have the whole thing we talked about you know Japan wanted him back he said not ready to come back then he said he was ready to come back but he had issues with some of the bookers so he wouldn't come back so he was at the ring for like nearly two years but it was less, more, less so about is he ready physically to come back like is he recovered from the injuries it's, it felt like when you see him come back he hasn't had he hadn't had the proper time and ring to train again, get back to the ambition that he was, and like there's a lot of ring rust that's evident when you watch his recent efforts in both AEW and in pro wrestling. Noah, yeah, it's it's definitely the prices, and this is where Osprey has been quite clever. And as soon as he started going up to heavyweight, he did start changing his moveset. It's not to say that he's not done <laughs> a pile of stupid things as well. Osprey himself will admit that, but. Compared to Ibushi and Omega, Osprey's got wiser sooner before this kind of damage can happen. Mm-hmm. And it was a shame because, like, Pro Wrestling were, it seemed like a big ever this, like, cross promotion match. You know, I'm hoping they were, I think they were hoping for similar buzz to they got when Nakamura came to the last New Year's show to fight the, uh, the Great Muta. And, you know, they were hyping up all its co Ibushi's first singles match in over two years since that injury. So it was a big deal to have them there. You know, Kuros, I know I had to sign off at Tony Khan, had to also sign off on it because Koibishi is now under AEW contract. But it made both companies look bad. Koizen came in and said he was kind of made out that he was told he was all good. But certainly it seemed like he got scanned by some clinic. And like, come on, if I like, go, uh, have you got any emails in your inbox from Nigerian princes recently? <laughs> He would probably fall for that bullshit as well. It's, it's it's like this man needs constant adult supervision. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, needs, he needs a handle, handler, you know. Like when Wardlow got given any kind of ability in the form of Sean Spears, that's what Cohabitia needs, but in real life, like, Supposedly, like his family was like really well off, but he's got quite a bit of money, so that's why he wrestles the way he does and doesn't sign contracts. Because like I don't need necessarily need to wrestle for the money, and like there's two sides to there's a couple of different sides to kids who grew up with money and very little responsibility. And Kotobushi and Tony Khan are the the negative sides of that. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree there. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm kind of glad, actually, that New Japan and Noah aren't doing a cross-promotional thing as part of wrestling this year, because now that I'm getting more into Noah, I don't want to see any of their guys kind of just be trying to do it just to lose to New Japan guys, because New Japan still have that little thing of, oh, no, but you fight our guys, we'll give you, let you beat lower card people, you know, let you beat our Dick Togos and our Yujiro Takahashis, but, you know, you're not beating anybody with real notes. But, about playing with others, all Japan's been playing with us because right before Christmas, uh, you got the announcement. Oh, by the way, uh, the 3rd of January, uh, NXT wrestler is going to not only come to all Japan, but he's going to challenge for the Triple Crown Championship. And I was like, wait, what? And then for the first time since he got knocked out by uh, MGF with the Diamond Diamond Ring, William Eagle made an appearance on behalf of NXT and for the first time publicly said, My son, Charlie Dempsey, and Announced that Charlie Dempsey would be going over to All Japan to fight Katsuhiko Nakajima for the Triple Crown Champion. And I've only seen highlights of it because they've been shared around after it happened. And fuck me, Charlie had a hell of a show. This was an absolute stellar showing for him. I've, I've not seen the full match, I've seen a ton of clips, I've seen majority of the match. And he, he, he very much reminiscent of his father in a lot of ways the technical mm-hmm. ability, the the slow build at the start of the match and getting into the flow of things and hitting hard and a style that if you'd only ever watched him in NXT, you would not be aware that this guy could do this level. But it was incredible. Yeah, it's weird. Like there was a lot of big sentiment of why don't they let him wrestle like this on NXT? Because he's got this whole thing with Damon Kemp and Drew Gulak. This whole like we're like the proper grapplers, we're the shooters kind of group, you know. Have a Diet Coke version of the Blackpool Combat Club in a way, but you know, even though they're very talented wrestlers, and like, yeah, if he was wrestling like this on NXT, I think it was Maxwell Botchman went like, well, obviously they can't wrestle, let him wrestle like this on NXT because by all rights he would beat everybody if he wrestled like this on NXT every week. And you know, I'm not really su- too surprised that he didn't win the belt, but because it's weird when you see a, a company doing a doing a relationship with WWE because I remember going into it thinking. It'll really say a lot about this relationship between the two companies, whether or not Charlie Dempsey walks away with that title. And because Nakajima came in from pro wrestling, no one actually is kind of this outsider and feuding with one of his old rivals who's one of the top faces in the company before he won the belt. He's kind of seen as this outsider kind of thing. And so the crowd actually were cheering for Dempsey during the match. They hate him that much. So that's effective. But as someone who does watch a lot of All Japan, I looked at the clips and other than how great Charlie Dempsey looked, my other big takeaway was, how fucking tiny is that ring? I know. It's like they got the training ring. I was like, wait, how? What? Like, is that a boxing ring? Because I know like the most Japanese companies like Japan and All Japan have that big long corner pad across the three turnbuckles. But it looked very small, the blue canvas and everything. Like, like David Campbell's got scenes in a boxing ring and his... Uh, film, and I'm thinking, 
that ring and that the ring and that film looked bigger than the one they're having this match in. <laughs> it really it is such a diff- it's such a weird thing to see, but at the same time, I like the fact that it really forces some good close fighting. Oh yeah, so well and Charlie and Nicky we did tease maybe next time we we fight it'll be on your turf. So Nicky has teased an appearance in uh, in NXT, and I think this relationship with all Japan is maybe a possibility of the long rumored. You know, expansion of NXT brand you know, after NXT and the plans for NXT Europe and potentially NXT Japan is it said that there is now looking for a Joshi promotion to partner with as well to try and take some talent with and get a working relationship going so I keep your ears to the ground to see what happens there but in terms of Japan a big news story that dropped right before I think actually the same day we dropped our Just Five Guys special this was announced that Oh, there's been some secrets backstage with uh, New Japan personnel. And all right, you know, I had to look on the article and they say, I had to read it a couple of times to make sure I read it properly. That Hiroshi Tanahashi had been announced as the new president of the company. President Tanahashi. What a guy. Or President Ace, as he's been referred to all the times. But yeah, I think they were talking about, oh, like, first wrestler or first president to still be wrestling while while president since Tatsumi Fujinami that was almost 20 years ago so that's how long it's been and you know fair enough I mean there's been definitely talk about shakeups within the company and Tanahashi's definitely into the trust not uncommon for New Japan or for Japanese promotions but I think I've now heard rumours since then that the original president who was in charge uh was kind of having some issues backstage with certain talent, certain talent didn't like him and quite nobly this guy did not seemingly see the value in Okada if the reports that he believed or had some issues with Okada I remember reading that like, this is just like the stories, it sounds a lot like the stories of like when Ric Flair left WCW after fighting with Jim Hurd and everything like this is what it sounded like is Okada going to whip around and take the IWGP belt and show up on, on bloody WWE like I'm the real world champion has problems with talent, doesn't see the value in Akada. Stephen Wilson? <laughs> Stephen Wilson's the only one who's on this guy's side, it seems like. Tan <laughs> uh, so did give, give a statement at a press conference a few years later. I think it was around about Boxing Day. He gave a statement. I've got some of it here. I've always carried a dream and ambition to be president as well as an active wrestler. I'm happy to be able to make that happen. I'm grateful for all the kind words and support I've gotten since my appointment. It's also given me a lot of expectations that I have to live up to here. Some of my key goals as president is I want to sell out the Tokyo Dome. This has always been a goal for me as a wrestler to walk down the ramp in front of the sold-out Tokyo Dome crowd. It's something to be proud of forever. That's something that will live with you for the rest of your career. And as well as something that fans will carry with them for a long time. I also plan to take on matches outside of the major cities. In the 2000s, when I worked... Without promotions and sales, the, the goal was first to get put 500 people in the building, then 1,000, and then on. I feel like selling at Tokyo Dome is only possible when all the towns are in Japan are selling out. I want to unite all of Japan's wrestling fans to their passion and carry that to the Tokyo Dome. I also want to further increase our work with our partners and sponsors. Our sponsors are the best tag partners we have. As an active wrestler, I will, as an active wrestler as well as president, I'm completely in a unique position to strengthen that relationship. There's also a lot I want to do with this role, and I look forward to your support. He also said that you will be active when they're on the road, 
but he when it comes to being in Tokyo, he may be more office based. So maybe the bigger shows in Tokyo you may not seen him in a wrestling capacity, but when it comes to touring, like he's not going to slow down as of yet. And as we've seen in Wrestle Kingdom, he really can't slow down at the minute because uh, he's got something to defend. I know. I know what he forgot. What what he, what happened when he read that statement? People didn't realise on the back of the card that I had written, "Well, booking myself to win a title." I mean, he's <laughs> a guy running a wrestling company while being a wrestler. I mean, it's the ultimate carnage tradition. He's got years of tradition. He has to hold that. I mean, he chose. Uh, he didn't choose a top tail. You know, he's not Jeff Jarrett in the year in the mid two thousands. The other thing I have to point out here with this, I mean, you said there's no sign of him slowing down, but I mean, the pace that he was wrestling with Sabre, man's already fucking slow. Oh yeah, in a matter of speaking, I was seeing more metaphorically that he doesn't intend to stop wrestling, but I get what your point is. Uh, when asked about when the decision was made, he was, he was invited over uh, to the, the then president's dinner, uh, house for dinner back in November and was approached with this possibility he said, I still haven't won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, and there's a lot to be done in that respect too. But as a true ace, he could perform in both positions. So I accept that now, and here we are. And so he still intends to be a wrestler. You know, He's still got stuff he wants to call as a wrestler, so maybe he feels like he can probably balance the two. And you hear them there, as I joked about him not being Jeff Jarrett, I forgot I had that bit to read. So yeah, don't, don't rule it out. Okay, he could possibly pick himself as a world champion, which... Again, he wouldn't exactly be the first guy running a wrestling company to pick himself in that position. It's gonna happen, boys. Good. Who knows? We'll see. But then we come to the bit we're all waiting for. We come to Wrestle Kingdom 18. You know, with live English content, which was after two episodes ago, after ranting and raving about New Japan World and itself and the bloody lack of proper English commentary. Upon when I got used to using Wrestler Universe for uh, watching for watching uh, Pro Wrestling Noah, I saw that you could go into the settings bit and for shows that had English commentary, you could switch between the options for English and Japanese commentary. And it randomly just occurred to me out of the blue, thinking, hey, maybe, maybe that's what they're doing on New Japan World. Sure enough, loaded it up, got, got the show... Clicked on the settings, audio, Japanese, English, switched to English, and sure enough, all of a sudden, here I'm hearing the glorious tones of Chris Charlton and Walker Stewart. Like, okay, it seems simple enough when you know it, but it wasn't made clear. That's it, it was just so, so silly. Mm-hmm. What happened to having clearly labeled this is the English commentary, show with English commentary, here is it separately with Japanese commentary, whereas. Why was that so hard? Why did you not just make it happen? I know. Although, something that's happened for me over Christmas is I got an Amazon Fire Stick and I was able to download New Japan World on the Fire Stick. It's been, I got to watch, uh, I started watching New Japan shows on my TV, which has been nice. I got to watch New Year's Dash on my telly, which was when I had a day off, which was nice. But going into Risk Game itself, again, I've probably said this already. But with last year's show and some other shows, but it bears repeating, especially having the two pandemic shows, and then you get that one uh, show they had in the middle of 2021, I think it was, where it was it seemed barely sold out because they couldn't uh, get that many people in because of the restrictions and everything. Seeing the Tokyo Dome looking as packed as it was, 
whether it was fully sold out, whether it was fully at capacity or not, seeing how packed it looked and how loud people got, especially for the last couple of matches, it is just a glorious I will not get sick of. It's good to see it return to that return to that level of grace again. It's been long overdue. And of course, we have to get the big ramp with a very long LED screen on, on it. And like set up. Uh, maybe not on the level of a WrestleMania set, but you know, it's, it's enough for us. And on the pre-show, we started off with our usual uh, 20 man, I believe it was 20, uh, New Japan Rambo show, which started off with Chase Owens. Chase Owens seems, just, seems to be the default. I'm the number one in every one of these Rambo matches. Uh, the first few entrants seem to be just a war between the War Dogs of Bullet Club and United Empire. You had Tommy Rishi getting involved. You had Sho and Yo were in, you know, in their feud getting a fight on the ramp. You had, uh, you had some surprises. You had Iska making his return, making one of the Japanese timekeepers shite himself because he thought he was going to die. Uh, tai Chi trying to control him, but they ended up fighting each other, which cost both of them getting eliminated. There are a few spots in here, but I've started kind of realizing that, you know, maybe the surprises aren't the biggest thing about the Rambo and sometimes whoever somebody's been booked beforehand is not going to determine how they get treated in this bloody in this bloody battle royal. Uh, it's still it's still my favourite of the battle royals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The appeal is starting to go down for me with every passing year, it seems like I just can't figure out why. Maybe it's because there are some guys on this that I'm thinking, yeah, you should probably be in a bigger spot in this show. You know, see Jockey coming out after winning New Japan's basic annual bodybuilding competition, the Concurso, whatever it was. So you see Gacy Jockey without his shirt on, you realize, like, why the fuck are you covering that up? And Chris Charlton <laughs> is loudly calling for Jockey to take his shirt off. Take it off. Take it off. <laughs> He's like, buddy, Phoebe. And I was like, come on, Jockey, just take off your shirt and tell us. Yeah, but looking at Yo for most of this match, I mean, he was very much in a comedy spot. Yeah, like he was clinging on the top rope. He lost his shoes, and then he lost his socks. Like he was clinging to the top rope for most of this match. Like he's he's employing the the Road Dog Rumble Two Thousand strategy. Just hold on to the ropes, and he can't be eliminated. It's like nope, gonna keep going anyway. <laughs> yeah, and you talk about everybody's in just five guys, but he takes you coming in as former champion. Getting eliminated during that spot with uh, in that spot uh, where he and Esker are and everyone else sneaks up on them and eliminates them. That means that Taichi is the first POPW champion from the previous year to not go on to challenge to be the first provisional champion of the following year because maybe they thought, you know, Taichi, you're better than this. So he, he deserves better. Yeah. Like you, you have better things. So at least I'm, I like to hope that's the thing, and not New Japan once again doing our boys just five guys dirty again because of how Doki was treated and how bloody he was treated in this match. But the final four ended up being the Great Okan Yano because we must always have Yano. We can't escape him in this KOPW. Uh, Yo and Taiji Ishimori. A very eclectic mix here. I didn't know who was going to win. All I knew is I just didn't want Yano to win. I thought we've revisited that so many times already. I think, and maybe maybe let's try something different. You know, my fingers are firmly crossed for Groot Okan to get that one. So it was it was definitely a, a like it was not a combination that I expected to see, but it worked. 
<laughs> it did work. Yeah, yeah, we had a very interesting match the following night, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, we go over to the the main card. We kicked off with the Junior Tag Team Tales, which usually does. And it's always a great way to kick off the show. We had the Bullet Club War Dogs coming out in all white, but they clock on this big white cowboy hat, the new white strapped uh, IWGP Tag Team Titles with their custom Bullet Club size plates on them. Uh, taking on Catch to Two, who they'd beaten on one of the last Road Two shows in a coffin match, putting TJP in the coffin. And there's always going to like, is TJP going to show up? What's happened to TJP? You know, instead of TJP since the show. Uh, and Akira was at the press conference by himself saying, You don't need to worry if you'll be there. You just need to know what is what TJ. You'd be worried about what TJP has become. And he took TJP out of this boat, out of this coffin, and this weird demon mask with his skeleton taped fingers uh, as the Alice Wall or something like that. They called him like his Filipino like ghost, uh, which a lot of people were saying like he's become the fiend. But I think it's more. It seems more like his his take on bloody Finn Balor's demon. It's. Uh... It wasn't. It wasn't what like people were trying to take the piss at the mask. I thought it was cool. Mhm. It, it was definitely creepy looking. I mean, mind you, there were points where I looked down. Like it looks like the mask that somebody wears on set when they're playing a monster before the digital effects are added. It was. It was just amazing watching the face of of, of Dan Maloney and Clark Connors just be like, "What the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is this?" Uh, I also like that because unlike the demon sometimes or like when Bray was the fiend he wasn't immediately overpowered like he did take a big double team move on the outside at one point he, he had to have Akira get isolated for a while so that he could then build to then the Oswald like demon character coming back in later on and like he, when he took a big move when he kicked out of because he's now this overpowered like, new powered like demon character he didn't like power out at one he, st- he grabbed the referee's hand to like don't you dare count that bloody three. So like I did not fucking consent. <laughs> I know. I did like look at how evil Dan Maloney looked at one point when he got his lip cut open. You see him smile at one point with the blood dripping down from his mouth. That's it. I mean, they, they really put a lot into this match that wasn't even 10 minutes. But my God, it felt like longer in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there was quite a few matches on the undercard that didn't really go longer than uh, 10 minutes, but didn't really feel like it. Some of them definitely did feel like but there were quite a few matches where I went online later on to see what the, the time limit was. And I'm like, oh, that was less time than I thought it was, but still catch you to kind of imagine how their big moves eventually. Imagine they take it, Clark Ross, they could take it, Maloney hitting the, the 2 2 on him and getting the win for Texas to become. Three time tag team champions. I forget that they briefly won them back off of the, the Jet Setters and then lost them to the War Dogs in the first place. But that's it to you when we did our predictions. Like the whole Catch 2 2 is then the fact that they beat them another time at that Road 2 show. Like, well, Catch 2 2 are still going to be around as a big part of the division for a while. So they kind of need to get this big revenge win here to prove they're still got it. It also means that as a team, they're undefeated at the Tokyo Dome. So it does. That's, a good, that's not a bad record to have. Mm-hmm. Catch 2-2 two, two or 2-2 two, two at the... Uh, or two, like, catch 2-2 two, two or 2-0 two, at the Tokyo Dome here. The hell of a record. You know, I did like the backstage comments from the War Dogs when they all responded to us. Like, you had to come back from the fucking dead because that's the only way you were going to be able to beat us. 
the next time we're going to make sure you stay dead. <laughs> you will die. <laughs> I thought it was weird also because he's in this weird character. Of course, TGB at one might had to do the mist because there cannot be a character in Japan who doesn't do the mist. That's it. You but, got you got to have a you got to have a good a good spray of mist. The red mist because apparently these uh these different mists have different meanings. I don't know what the red one means. I just know the black one means an idiot has to wear a blindfold, has to wear glasses for a month while Jamie Noll was a horrible boyfriend. But anyway, uh, going on to the next one where President Ace Rosita actually taking on uh, Dr. Junior, who also had a very lovely white uh, gear that he had on. Also, what they pointed out as the night went on, anybody who wore white seemed to have a really bad night on this show to the point where I can't remember who it was that wore white and like the fourth or fifth match, but like, please stop wearing fucking white. <laughs> so could you fucking not? <laughs> I mean, also because like, can people stop wearing the same gear? Like everyone's like, oh, I got my nice white gear for Risk Kingdom. So did I. And so did I like, oh wait, well one of us is going to have to change. Yeah, it's not going to be me. We, we can't all be we like this. We cannot clash like this. It's too big a night for this. Yeah, yeah we were closing in on a... This is exactly one year to the day that Zack Sabre Jr. would won the title in the first place. And, you know, after making that big point, like, Zanassi doesn't need it. Zack needs to lose it to one of the young up-and-coming guys we talked about, you know, the young punks and all that. One of, the, one of these new musketeers needs to take it off of Zack. And about eight minutes after a big roll-off reversal sequence... I think a roll-up that happened in such a way that I, for a brief moment, thought, was that a fuck-up? Uh, when the three was counted, Tanahashi beat Zachary Jr. in just over eight and a half minutes to win the title. And again, I was surprised it felt longer than eight minutes. But, uh, yeah, Zach got upset by it with the title. Again, I'm hopeful that this is a, a sign that he's moving up the card, the fact that he's lost this belt. Because uh, otherwise, you know, and I'm sure you would agree, I could have seen that ring go on forever. It, it was the perfect belt for Zach. Like Zach made that belt so special. A full year with it, and even like the, the match with Tana. I'll I'll be I'll be right up front. It was one of my least favorite matches in the card because Saber wrestled circles around Tana, Captain Biscuit knees himself, <laughs> um, and then Tana got the kind of fluky win, and I was just like, "You fucking what, mate? <laughs> Boris, <laughs> Boris Johnson." <laughs> Rishi Sunak. <laughs> uh, maybe it wasn't what we were expecting. Again, like I said, they climbed a lot in and they got eight minute uh, time. And, you know, Zach is like, despite having all these defences, he has had a few key losses, like against Danielson and Okada and everything. He saw it was quite nice in his backstage comments. He, like, he was apologising to TMDK, like, sorry, you know, one year ago I joined TMDK, all we've done is bloody lose. <laughs> yeah. but you know Zach's got a bigger fish to fry as we saw on the on New Year's Dash but you know it's still a hell of a thing you know very rare that we see that year long title reigns I think there's actually one other person on the show and who had a, who had won the title last year Red Skin, and they lost it here so it's not a good time for long like year long title reigns but that can still hold that longest uh, champion or most defences of the modern era thing yeah that's something no one can take away from that's it whatever happens to the tv title in the future right the 
you know, Sabres first reign is going to be, that's the benchmark. Definitely. And I'm sure there's not last we'll see him with that particular belt. Uh, or maybe at some point, you know, because he did give us a wee shoot uh, at Moxley, maybe at some point, features all in that belt, you know, in honour of his adopted dad and Zach Sabre Jr. But, Moving on to another match which seemed shorter than I thought it was. It only went at like 10 minutes, 57 seconds. Yuyu Amura versus Yota Suji, a match where I suggested should be a match at the Dome. It wasn't confirmed when we did our predictions. I then got announced later on, which I think, like, see, I knew before everyone else. Because uh, Suji was basically like, no, I don't need to fight you. I've always been one step ahead of you. And then on the last to- Road to the Tokyo Dome show and a big LIGV Five Guys tag match, Suji got pinned by Yuyu and then like, you know what, fuck it, yeah, I will fight you at the Dome. <laughs> and that was the big story they were telling on commentary with Rocky, Walker Stewart and Chris Charlton, where like it seemed like Suji has always been that one step ahead of you. This is Yuya's first singles match since he's returned from Australia, and he needs this more than Suji does. And I thought to myself, he does need this support, and I was thankful that they actually gave him the win, because... Suji has already had that those two big matches like with Sanada, the matches in the G1, the match with Osprey. Yuya, though, he's the one who needs the true like spotlight on this occasion. Yeah, and it's very rare for New Japan to give the big win to a returning young lion, but well, technically they're both returning young lions, so you never had the established, but it was the right call. Like Su- Suji did not look bad in this at all. He looked oh, no. absolutely dominant at points. But you, you're getting that gutsy win with that beautiful dead bolt suplex. Absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, Suji's offense is maybe the more exciting of the two, you know, with the curve stomp and the spear that he had, and he did that big dive really early on. And he's got a bit more flashy offense. He can maybe put that down to his time when he's excursion in Mexico. But they pointed out with you, like, he went to the US dojo and then he went to Impact. He was getting the focus, more focused on keeping the fundamentals and that's why he gets those beautiful arm drags, which that character of a spear into the arm drag was just something to build. They hit the dragon suplex at one point, but he managed to have fight bag after getting the curves on, which I thought, oh no, he's fucked here. And then you have the dead bolt suplex, yeah, which is every time he's hit seemingly so far, like no one's kicked out of it yet. So even though he's very early into his run, he's already got a finisher that's being protected, which is always a good sign. That's it. Yuya is he's, he's looking fantastic on his return because um, obviously we've got mixed reviews across the four kind of big returns in the last year. Yuya was the last one to come in, but he's potential looking to be one of the best out of this in the long run already. Mm. I think a comment I heard on the Fightful's review of uh, the show was, I can't remember who it was on the show that commented, but like uh, Suji is further ahead than Yuya and like Shota is further ahead kind of in running wise than Renneria. Yeah, it was the two guys who weren't as far ahead that got the win. Which I think in Yuya's case was a good thing because he needs that because he's you know, he went away at the same time, but it's not considered as one of these new musketeers, you know. So if they were doing a four pillars thing like AEW and all Japan, then yeah, he'd be in there, but because he's kind of the outside of these other three, uh he needed this more so to establish himself. And because I think Shota and Suji are have already been spotlighted for bigger things, whereas you had to go like, I'm here too. I deserve these opportunities. That's it. I deserve this opportunity. Definitely more so than Ren Narita. 
I did like how much the commentators were bigging this up, like comparing it to when like Okada and Yoshiashi had that had that match at Risking and some years ago when they both returned from excursion and also saying that how they wouldn't be surprised if in a few years' time we see this match again only this time in a main event of the dome, which you know, I couldn't uh, I could see that happening as well. But then we really changed gears here to Kaito Kiyomi and Shota Mino taking on Ren Narita and Evil, a match that was also made towards the end of last year, right after we recorded our predictions for the show, where Kaito invited Shota to come to Noah to help him in his fight, and he said, as long as you let me be at the Tokyo Dome on January 4th. Uh, Shota, who, I know Christian tried to make comparisons to the American Badass, but I'm pretty sure I saw clips years ago in the 90s when Medusa came out an All Japan Women's Show on a motorbike. So to me, it just looked like, oh, look at that, Shota's doing his tribute to a Lindra Blaze. <laughs> Never going to fucking unthink of that now. <laughs> just wait just wait till the first time Shota wins a belt and then puts in a bin and then no one lets him forget about it. Oh my God, that was incredible. Uh, only seven minutes this win and for how to torture match, you know, is good enough. But... It was weird because now on this night it was like his torture like ah he's not so tough with it all your Noah pals are you because these guys really struggled at some points with the uh, with the numbers game Togo doing his weird chop to the dick as he often does uh, although at some point it looked like Rent Kaito Kimi was doing well finding out that torture on his own potentially being the antidote to his torture but uh, that did not last long you know Kaito's in New Japan so he's not allowed to look strong for too long. God bless him. At some point, it did look like Shota had the upper hand on Ren Narita, and then you know everyone in House of Torture's got their weapons. You know, Yujiro's got his walking stick. Shota's got his wrench. Karamara's got his you know whiskey bottle. So Togo's got his weird like Garrett thing, and well, evil as a weapon. So, and I mean that not in the complimentary sense. And so Renny's like, I need my, I need my weapon. He's got a push-up bar, a reinforced push-up bar, because he and Shota used to have push-up competitions in the dojo to see who could do more push-ups. And so he's using that as his main weapon. It doesn't look gooey, like it just looks like it looks more convoluted to walk around with than a fucking wrench. That's it. I mean, really, like everyone everyone needs to stop trying to bring in their own versions of weapons. We all know it's Doki's pipe. That's mm-hmm. the best one. Nothing beats it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he hit, he's now calling the double cross, which is a really shit-looking X-Factor <laughs> that he hits. And now I'm hoping, like, the one thing that might redeem Renovate as part of the House of Torture is if he redoes his theme song and has Uncle Cracker playing about to the ring, you know, a remix of Uncle Cracker. You're, you're dealing with the House of Torture. I got everything I ever wanted and I'll never get that back. <laughs> oh, I know you hate Narita, but you ain't gonna... <laughs> There you go, you got a Lundra Blaze reference and an X-Factor reference within the five-minute span. You're welcome. And on that note, it is the end of the podcast as we know it. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, as we're recording this, I'm very tempted to, to work that Uncle Cracker song into the fucking intro of this show. It's going to be very confusing for everyone tuning in if I do do that, but uh, bear with me. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I want the David Campbell reaction on the back of it because it'll be fucking priceless. Oh, but yeah, the X Factor that he actually hits 
which a lot of people said like it looks more like when the Bellas used to do that version of the movie called the Bella Buster, which is definitely a damning indictment on Narita's ability here because like it looks like his arse hits the ground before the guys even jumped. That's how shit it looks. <laughs> oh no. No no no. <laughs> like he's he used to have like a weird like overhead suplex cast similar to what you use and like well you're a heel now and you just kind of clean that move so you need to think of something different ah the X factor do you know how to do it no but you know it's following in your arse how hard can it be up there with such classic moves as the butterfly lock (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know I'm feeling I'm kind of worrying about Renneria because you know Kanemaru is acting like a heel and using all these shenanigans you know I really enjoyed watching his match with Taichi, the, the whiskey bottle ladder match. But like he was working over a body part from myself. It seems like he was for the most part he was using up until House of Torture members to get involved. He was using some of his usual Kanemaru tattoo. He wasn't much different from what he'd be before. But Narita looks like he's leaving less on a Kanemaru esque after joining the House of Torture. And more so on showing that oh, remember when he was a great wrestler? No, he's gotta lose surely but surely stop using everything that made him a good wrestler and just rely on bollocks. Which is what I don't, not what I, I want for It's not what I really want for for Renier. But moving on, thankfully we've got a banger right after that because thirty minutes forty six seconds. Tamatonga, which shocked me, uh, won back the ever open weight championship and only Shingo's second defense. It was the fourth reign now for Tamatonga uh, after hitting his DDS, which is his version of the J Driller Dermontic Pile Driver. I'll be honest with you, Grant. I heard the thing about Kamatonga leaving before I watched this match. I'd only watched part of the show. Then I, I don't. I tried not to look at the chat, the research chats, but I did see something about Tama leaving. So I thought, oh, maybe he lost the match, which I kind of predicted Chingo would win anyway. And so for the most part, I wasn't really biting for any of Tanga's like, times he went for the cover because I thought he's not going to win. Then we had that J-drill, and like, huh, be weird if Chingo kicked out of this. And then he didn't kick out. I'm like, huh. And it was only after I watched the backstage comment that I realised what everyone was talking about, but you know, got me fucking surprised, because even if he wasn't leaving, I would not have called Tama winning the belt back. No, I had absolutely, this was not on my 2024 bingo card at all. Mm -mm. But uh, considering last time he was wrestling for the Never Take on the Dome, he was fighting against Carl Anderson, this is very much an improvement here, because you know, this is a Shingo Takagi style Never open white title match, you know, all sorts of hard hit moves, all these characters like in Shingo even hitting a dive at one point, which I, <laughs> I didn't expect. And then possibly one of the best characters I've seen in a long time, countering the made in Japan into a gun stun. And that is that is actually fairly beautiful. There's no denying that. I, I, where does that even fucking come from? Uh, bloody Tamatonga hits a styles clash at one point. I think Shingo had his own version of the of the Gunston at some point. By the time after the Double Power Driver won the Never title, but in his backstage comments said, you know, talked about how often his dad would be away and how he'd be away for months at a time, and his mum permits had to raise him, him and his brothers by herself, and she felt like a single parent at times. He doesn't want that for his wife and his kids. So to be close to his family, he said January will be my last month with New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm like. Huh. Well, just well, you won the fucking belt there, didn't you? What an absolute selfish belly in doing that. And here's another thing: I don't, I haven't looked in to see how true this is, but according to the fake review I was watching, I was listening to, fucking 
supposedly, you wonder why would they put a belt on him if he was leaving? Well, supposedly, Tamba just made the decision either during the match or just after the match. Because apparently, New Japan didn't know he was going to say that in his comments. Oh, I am laughing about what I see has happened on the New Japan website today in relation to him with the title. Well, it's happened. The House of Torture have hacked it and they are showing evil with the title on the New Japan website, apparently. <laughs> ah, yes. They're hackers now. That's what we need. Hackers of torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so it was a good thing for G.O.D. and then G.O.D. carried on into the next match for the winner-take-all. Winner, winner-takes-all. Each team doing their third defence of the, their respective titles. Leo Fantasmo and Hikaleo with their uh, strong tag team titles and the IWGP tag team champions Yoshiashi and Goto, the reigning three-time uh, tag team champions and three-time winners of the World Tag League. It was at this moment of the night where Nick and Ryan Nemeth randomly appeared in the crowd. Made me think, are they, I think they were trying to plan to, are these guys going to go for the tag team titles? No way. You can't <laughs> tell me that's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, Nick Nemeth of Dolph Ziggler, multiple championship fame, and Ryan Nemeth of got into a fight argument with CM Punk on Twitter fame. Tell me the definition of your mum tells you to tells you, tells you to bring your brother along. I'll be honest with you, Ross said very similar things when I told him about uh, about this happening, and you know, it's very very much sums up me and Ross's childhood. You better take your brother with you. I don't fucking want to. You fucking better. Come on, take him to the swim with you. He can't swim. He'll learn. <laughs> uh, luckily, though, both teams wore their white white gear, so you couldn't you really tell who this was going to be an unlucky night for. But this went uh, nine minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, again, considering their last match went 40 minutes, I mean, I wasn't expecting anything of that length this time around, but you could have given them a bit longer than bloody nine minutes. Uh, one hell of a they did cram a lot in though, because you had Higaleo doing his big double suplex. There was a big spin kick on both members of GOD in the corner. You know, both teams had their big tag team offense, which they had the other one. You had that classic move of, oh, they've had a double team move, and then from out of frame, look, here's the tag team part of the hit. They'll get rid of it. And then I would not expect this to be the finish. They did their usual like choke slam, thunder kiss, A6 pin, but that was not enough to get the win on Goto. So what they did instead was for the first time in I don't know how long ELP breaks out the a CR3 the powder driver variation of it and this time Hikaleo does the splash bar of the Thunderkiss 86 and we have new Titan Champions GOD become double champions which I was I was like I will not, I'm not going to believe it until the three count happens because Bush actually been on the outside for quite a while and you saw ELP dash they started stopping from coming in the ring I thought oh no he's going to break out the pin three like ah Let's say I was literally jumping around my house when I saw it happen because I really wanted G.O.D. to win. And they apparently call that one, that variant, the Thunderstruck 91. <laughs> nice. Brilliant name. I mean, people have commented on his splash. I mean, yeah, I mean, that a guy that size on the top row, he's clearly not used to going to the top row, so it's not going to exactly flag with the greatest of ease, but if, I get, if you've been dropped on your head after choke slam and a splash, then you get dropped in your head, and then a guy his size jumps on you. I mean, you're probably going to stay down. That's it. Like, doesn't matter how how slow he's going through there, but that is a big lad 
landing <laughs> on you, and that is going to do some damage. I know that's why it works for Gunther. I mean, even though he's lost quite a bit of weight, he's still a fair size. And if he's been battering you for twenty minutes and then he jumps on you from a great height, yeah, it's going to keep you definitely going to keep you down. But as I said before, I mean, I didn't like the idea, the booking decision to have Kotonu Jesse win yet another world title just to set this up. But the fact that it led to ELP and you know starting off this year on a good note with the tag team titles, the double white champions. Because, you know, I needed something big after, you know, running the G1 and being the guy to send Jay White back, and he needed something big to follow up on that. And then ELP, after he had his big breakaway from Bill Club and joined GOD, I mean, yeah, he didn't get to beat David Finlay or anything, but he still needed something big, you know, after that to cement him as a single star, or what, cement him as a star outside of Bullet Club. And, you know, what a hell of a declaration for these two. And, you know, they're not the original GOD, good for them, I say. Well done. Well done, lads. Well deserved. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then we move, you know, and then they, they just keep on going. They just like people would walk away and then they would go into the next match. Very few video packages on the show except for the main event, which I was surprised about. Oh, what a match that followed up to this. What a oh, match. Yeah. I hear you have his, you know, his big, you know, all white with some gold mask days on the inside, not his big ma- match, black with gold mask. The Eldest Barrow's got another one, black and red mask. And it, again, as per his usual aesthetic, he clearly went to the mask maker. Make me a mask, okay? Make it cool as fuck. You got <laughs> it. Yeah, and quite, and quite aptly, he didn't wear white, so he didn't jinx himself in this match. That's the most important part. That's it. It went exactly how I was praying it would. Yeah, and uh, he's like, I don't have time to wait around with Hiroma and his big jackets and everything. He just dives to the outside before he's even got into the ring. He's starting this match up. 14 minutes, 21 seconds this went. Very much, uh, like, I mean, these, they always have great matches. Like, Desperate, I think, quickly becoming one of, becoming uh, Hiroma's like, best rival, in my opinion. But, like, here's one of their regular matches at 1.5 the speed. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Oh, I was just nuts. Like, let's face it. We know you put these two in the ring, even on a lazy and a slow day, they are still going to give you a bare minimum three and a half star match. Mm-hmm. You just knew you were going to get gold in at the dome. Desperado mm-hmm. is just looking for that big win finally. Because I've said it numerous times. I've campaigned from numerous times. Man deserves the world for everything that he done for them during Hiromo's injury time. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, cause they talk about you know not him not necessarily wanting that spot, you know, as the big figure of the junior division, but he might get it here and maybe suddenly growing into the idea of being that guy within the division, especially after everything he did. Like you said, he got that double champion run with both the junior tag and the junior heavyweight titles when Hiromi had that injury, and like, he beat Hiromi in the dome before. But again, this is like that time the, the fans could make noise. They could definitely make noise here, and they were very vocal during this. All sorts of big moves here. Big uh, Death Valley driver in the corner by Hiromu. Hiromu uh, had said going into this, this will be the last time I fight Desperado unless it's in the main event. So a big declaration from Hiromu there. They repeated their spot from that epic junior uh, Super Juniors final in 2020 where the stretch muffler into the Canadian Destroyer. Just nice to see a big callback there. Uh, until Desperado went, ah, fuck this. I just 
Three's big punch right in the face of Romeo. Couldn't get Pinchy Loco hit one, couldn't get a second one, and decided to do he had to follow the logic of GOD in the last match. If it's not working, drop them on their head and then hit your finisher again. So he does he does a double under pile driver, a second Pinchy Loco, and Desperado becomes, I believe this makes him a three time junior heavyweight champion at Hiromu having won the belt at the, the four-way match last year, his 365-day reign comes to an end as well. But you think they, they said that the reason he challenged this battle was like, well, I beat Master Watto, who was also in that four-way. I beat Ishimori, who was the champion. There's one guy who was in that four-way I haven't beaten in this reign, and it's you. And this Brado has taken away uh, Hiromu's chances of breaking that record for most defences that he so sorely wanted. That's it. It looked like they were considering that day. It looks like they were really considering giving him that new record, but nope, last moment. Take it away. Just take I it away. I believe the record is 12 currently, like 11 or 12, and somebody will eventually break it. I just don't, I said at the time, I don't think it needs to be Hiromu. He's got so many other records and accomplishments within the junior division that he doesn't really need it. If anything, the next thing he should be doing is going after the tag tails because it's the one thing he hasn't really done. Uh, like I said it was like twelve or so defenses or more would be the record. This was his. his this was in, This was number eight for Roman. So he got to eight defenses, which is still in a span of a year for the junior title is a hell of an accomplishment. That's it. It's like it's like when Okada had the big reign and he set pretty mm-hmm. much every bloody record with the big the big belt back in the day. Eventually, you get to that point. It's like you're either making an impossible challenge for anyone else to get because wrestling fans don't have the patience for a champion to be that champion that long anymore or you just make a new belt Speaking of new belts <laughs> we're going to our next <laughs> match the three-way match for the Global Heavyweight Championship 22 minutes 17 we had uh, David Finlay looking at his usual smug self we had John Moxley who said I like the red hood I just don't have the budget to do a proper red hood Outfit. So he had the little eye mask, which is good. They had that big red face mask as well, which looked cool, but didn't look fully red hood, I think, as much as he thought it did. And then you had Osprey with the full-on Assassin's Creed get up in the music uh, when he came out. And the say Japanese crowds aren't loud. They fucking love Will Osprey though, because the loud chance of Osprey during his entrance, like, he is going to be sorely missed when he leaves. Oh yeah, that's like the, the impact... Osprey's entrance, so oh that 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 entrance attire as well. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Ah. So at the press conference the day before, Will Osprey made this little pact with John Moxley, saying like, "Listen, you know, we would know it should be me and you. This guy doesn't belong in here with us. So why don't we make a pact? Truce. The first five minutes, we'll fuck him off, and then it can just be me and you." And to seal the deal, he pulled out a bag with two non-alcoholic beers uh, to help sweeten the deal and get an alliance with John Moxley. And so that was the story of the first five minutes of the match. Well, technically they only used four of those five minutes, but they barred David Finley fight, fighting into the crowd. They double powerbombed him through the table. You could say it's a bit of an amass to the shield, but like, these Japanese tables don't break. If we see it's going to break, you're going, it's fucking going to break. That's it. It's... It, it's like, I, I honestly, I love the fact that they committed to that. I was like, is this going to be one of these things? They make the joke about it, but they're not going to. No, they kicked the living shit out of Finlay for a good four minutes. It was beautiful. Yeah, and then 
Finlay's like, uh, they said on Gondor, like, maybe Finlay's prepared for this and he took advice of the fact this is a no DQ. He got a chair out involved, he got Coglin and Kids involved in it. Like, look at this is no DQ, I can do whatever the hell I want. And Alex Coglin maybe took one of the best table bumps in wrestling history where he and Kid were put across two tables. The table that Kid was on didn't break, so he ended up just rolling off of his one. But Coglin, the just most of the back of it broke, but the table itself didn't like break in half, just the back fell out of it. So he just looked at his arse got sandwiched and stuck right in the table, and he just sat there for a good couple of minutes. It's when you go to sit down in the toilet in the middle of the night and you forgot to put the seat down beforehand. <laughs> oh, he's going to be shitting splinters for a week, that boy. Why? You feel your life flash before your eyes as you go to sit down and it goes down lower than you were expecting. This is a very chaotic match, but I think given it's three gaijin wrestlers for a title, it's going to be defended around the world, not internationally, as well as in Japan. Uh, and that's a few which New Japan don't do. It felt like very fitting for this kind of match. It's so chaotic. You know, I'm bled because it's the day ending and why. <laughs> uh, yeah, these moments where like one guy looked like he definitely faced the other and then the other guy was going to sneak in and look like they thought like fucking all three was handing out but he hidden blades like they were going out of fashion like Finley takes the, the death rider at one point all three sneaks in with their it's the Stormbreaker then fucking Finley hit all three with an old fashioned super dragon style fucking curb stomp at one point I actually thought at one point that uh, Osprey was going to pull out the Storm Driver around the Stormbreaker, but he didn't. Uh, eventually, after hitting the overkill, David finally manages to capture the world tail. I mean, he did kind of sneak in after someone else had already been hit with a move and did a move of his own. But it still didn't feel too cheap. Like, he'd gotten the ship out of him. He had his henchmen foiled there. And it looked like, and that 22 minutes, like, yeah, you're going to win the tail, Finley, but we're going to make you earn it. That's it. This is this was a good proper hazing into mm-hmm. position because he got the shit battered out of him to get that win. Mm-hmm. And I think to help establish him as a top, you know, one of the top foreign wrestlers, you know, especially with Osprey uh, now going over to AEW, he's got there's a spot to be filled in as inaugural holder of a certain title. He can hopefully do for that belt what ZSJ has done with the TV belt. He might establish that as a title worth fighting for as a secondary title under the world title. And help further establish the dominance of this new version of Bill Club, give that some you know, some meaning behind it. And you well, know, it's kind of like when Omega was leader of Bill Club and the elite, you know, he got given the first uh, US championship and he helped add some value to that. So Finley can hopefully do that as well. And what says, what screams value for a new championship than having your first contender be the former Dolph Ziggler? And the way that he leapt at him. <laughs> in the backstage bit is forever ingrained in my soul because I'd forgotten Nemeth was there like they came for the tie title thing I thought I didn't know if they were still there then they also we had a bell of a junior heavyweight title match, and then we had this chaotic three way for like 22 minutes so then he cuts to the I'm walking towards the ramp and the barricade and you can see Nemeth there and they start arguing with each other again Finley just shoves them and again to Nemeth ends up falling onto the back as you said and diving over the the table. Like, there's been a comparison people put of like that guy in America jumping over at that judge and the way that Nemeth jumped over at Finley. I just got absolutely fucking beautiful. Just one move, clean over the table. Absolute ten out of ten. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but anyway, then from there, 
to the semi-main event. I'm asked that some people said they should do a vote to see if this should be the main event. Uh, what's also in- what's interesting about this is I, me- I think I may have mentioned it in the last episode, but uh, on New Japan when they were advertising like at the top of the, where I say they advertise the, the upcoming shows or coming the next big shows, they advertise Wrestle Kingdom twice on it, one for Japanese and one for English commentary. And on the cover for the Japanese version, it had Sanada and Naito. And for the, I think, advertising English commentary, it had Okada Danielson. Do you think of the case of, like, this is a match for the Japanese fans. This is one for the, that draws the Westerners in. Kind of like Omega Osprey last year or Omega Jericho a few years ago. Like, there's, a, there's always that one big match that draws the foreigners in. And the main event is for the hardcore, like, Japanese fans. That's it. And, you know, it's it's hard to, it, it would be it's a hard argument to go against it. Like if it wasn't for the fact that the main event is the actual big title match, mm-hmm. you look at everything else in this card. This is your this is your star match. This is your money draw. This is your box office draw. Um it's just nuts. It was a mm-hmm. fucking brilliant match. Oh yeah. Hey, this is definitely everything I wanted it to be. Thankfully, Danielson managed to seemingly get out of it unscathed, and T was ruthless in this man. He got the big fire like pyro for him. Have you have you seen that Danielson T shirt that New Japan released with the dragon skull with an eye patch over it? Oh, that was cool. Oh yeah, uh, gets a pyro which he said he's never had in his career. He got the big. He's got his old maroon kind of gear, looks very similar to what he used to wear back in WWE. Like I said, he was ruthless in the match, working over that arm on Okada. Like, I don't think I've seen Okada get ruthlessly worked over in such a way in a long time. I can't even remember the last time somebody worked over Okada the way that Danielson did in this match. Yeah, no, I mean, even when Okada got convincingly beat by Jay White, it wasn't as ruthless. Danielson has got a... He's able to portray a certain viciousness in his fighting style that you do not get with any other wrestler, and that's for the fact that the man is five foot fucking none. <laughs> I don't know. Danielson had said in his comments, like, oh, before this match, you know, you've seen you faced adversity, like, you know, you haven't, you haven't faced true adversity, that's what I'm going to put you through in this show. Like, working over the arm, hitting into the barricade, what kind of was, seen, was equally vicious, you know, ripping off the eye patch and kicking Danielson towards where that eye injury had been uh, Danielson locked in the little bell lock and tried to beat him the same way he beat him at Fairbairn Door using the legs but Okada managed to use his legs to reach the rope stomped by Danielson uh, Okada eventually does beat Danielson with the Raymaker but I think it's a case of like he hits it with a lot of strength he's got left and just kind of just falls into the cover the, the idea that Okada you know he's a guy who usually beats people very convincingly in these big matches especially on the Tokyo Dome but it's not as if he beat Danielson, it felt like more like he survived Brian Danielson. Oh yeah, like, like Okada came out that changed guy and you know, with all the talk of is Okada going to make it? Um, is he going to go elsewhere? Is he going to stay? If this was one of his last matches in New Japan, it's an absolute stellar one to possibly go out, go out on. Well, it also depends on you know, where he's going to go after this because if he doesn't go to like AEW, then It'd be a shame that we didn't get the rubber match between these two, which would be nice to see. But if he does go AEW, then it's worth it for the need of that rubber match if he chooses to go elsewhere. But you know, it'll be interesting to see what Okada is. I mean, there's still a little information as to what's going to happen. You know, as far as I know, he hasn't chosen to extend his deal with New Japan. It still seems like he's going to be a free agent at the end of January. 
So some decisions are going to have to be made in that regard. Yeah, the nice little like, bow between the two afterwards uh, in the ring, kind of like a show of respect. Uh, apparently they, they haven't clarified what this means for like this being his last year. This will be my last full-time year I think as of October, because that's, that's where the time where he announced it, or September, October time. Then from then on, I'm going to wrestle, try and wrestle five to ten matches a year. That'll be my part-time schedule. So I'm sure in some of them he'll probably still give it all, everything and potentially get injured and still wrestle. I, I can always imagine that's why he has to go down to five to ten matches a year. It's like, right, let's go in this. You're going to hurt yourself. I know, but I've got a couple months to recover afterwards. All right. That's why I wanted Tony kind of become in a tournament. Like, I don't have many matches as a full-time wrestler. I'd only cram a lot of matches in such a short space of time as I can. Let me just get it out of my system. But there we have the main event. I actually did get a video package and bloody hell, you talk about Osprey being over Tetsuya and Aito before even he, before he even came out on stage, there were a loud chance of Naito uh, from the crowd as he came out welcomed by the audience as they wanted to see him get that roll call. And while he may have earned respect from the crowd as the match went on and afterwards, Sanaza, when he came out and stood on that, that stage, Fuck me, the crew could not have been quieter. And fuck them all. Fuck them all. My boy. My boy getting disrespected. Like, you could have had a fucking pin drop when he stood on that stage and the Just Five Guys thing happened. Like, Jesus. And you would have been uh, booing every other person in the Tokyo Dome for their disrespect. Uh, so, I mean, the comedy did a good job in this match telling the story between the, two and the differences, you know. Naito said this may be my last chance to do, you know, have this have this shot of my roll call in the Tokyo Dome and my opponent won't even talk about the match and you know, but then also like you say that Naito might be a bit jealous of Sonata because you know, well, Naito has a connection to the fans that Sonata might not have. Sonata's got the long run run as the champion that Naito never had because as you remember, I'll say Naito won the title in twenty sixteen, lost a couple months later, won the title in twenty twenty, pandemic during the first part of his shut down during the first part of his reign, then came back and lost it to Evil, then had to run it for a couple months before losing it again out of the Dome to Ibushi, so Naito never got the long run with the belt, whereas Naito, whereas, sorry, Sonata's held it all since April, the longest reigning champion and most successful defences of any holder of this current version of the IWGP world title. That's it, it's... Night was finally got, but th- this is where the big worry for me is how long are they going to stick with him this time? Because it's fair, you know, as much as I'm giving the, the slagging off to Night in this case, because I want my boy to retain, <laughs> Night deserves this. Night deserves better than what he's got from the company. And he is getting older. His, his knees and his neck have got to be like Rice Krispies by now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think. It'll be very clear, like not maybe like the ambiguity of as this is left. This may be the last time he gets a big win in the main event of the dome. Like I think if he manages to, I, I think they might. I, I could be surprised if they have him hold it for the full year. They try and have him do that, and I think if he holds it into the dome next year, that may be one of one of if not the last time he wins in the main event. Like he has the main event in the dome, and next year he puts over someone else next year. So. But the match, you know, again, Naito was a favourite through most of it. Sonata put in a hell of an effort during the match. They're going back and forth. Naito multiple times trying to work over the neck of Sonata and 
Sarah did land on his head a couple of times, and Sarah did get, try and give it back. It's almost as if Naito was like, he wants to know, you can be my new co-abishi. You know, that guy I regularly drop each other on our heads to almost dangerous degrees. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not, indeed. Uh, there's a really poignant moment where like, he hits the missile, then he hits the deadfall, a move that he's been able to hit one and done, but he had no strength to energy to make the cover at that point, so much so that they both just end up rolling over to opposite sides, eventually getting back up to do the next part of the match. But then there's that doubt, oh, it's like, oh, if I had gotten the cover after that, would I have retained the title in the Tokyo? And there's that ambiguity there. It's a really solid-looking fucking Shining Wizard at one point. And then also, so now I can put over the deadliest of his finishing move, like, you hit me with a couple of Destinos, but you only got to finish me off on that last Destino after you hit me with my own move. So technically, you could say, it was my move that beat me, not yours. <laughs> ah, I see we're playing mind chess. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we are. It's all mind chess. <laughs> there were a few kind of slip ups at a couple of points here when Nitro was going for one decision, and a few other spots that didn't look great. But I think these two guys were strong enough to kind of, you know, just gl- just breeze through it. Don't let this drag down the match. They done a really good job with it. They didn't let it, and also they didn't do the fate, the, the usual Tokyo Dome thing. They didn't go for a mega long main event either. Twenty five minutes forty two, not too short, not too long, just right. Yeah, it, felt, it gave you everything that you felt like you kind of needed for your your Tokyo Dome. Yeah, there was enough near falls, enough moments where it could have ended for everybody. Uh, and again, yeah, poor fucking Sonata's neck during this match. I think it was like it took like three at least Destinos. There was a third one, I think it was at the end, that finally beat uh, that finally beat Sonata after the deadfall, and I believe the Gloria as well uh, that he had. So, also, a cool moment where Naito did his right back with slingshot move, where instead he actually, Sonata was sitting on the apron, and Naito just slung himself and kicked him in the face on the apron. It was, honestly, it was actually a beauty of a move, like, give him that. Yeah, yeah. Which is a shame because going into I don't think this is a match people were giving as much credit because like all the focus was oh Sonata won't do interviews why don't Sonata talk about it? well he's he wants the match to speak for itself and if you're watching English commentary the commentators did a great job of telling you the story. <laughs> That's yeah, it. They, they, they had a they had a very good story going into this. I mean Sonata defecting from Lij. Mm-hmm. It was just, it, this is this has been a proper long ball story. Like, Sanada got the belt back in April. Knight has been chasing it all that time and chasing after his former protege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was after a match with with Naito in the New Japan Cup on the road to winning that tournament, which he then won the, went on to win the title. And Sanada basically defected from LIJ after beating Naito, as I said. And also, there's a great meta connection with his. Uh, but, but listed out the sharing was of the insult tributes to the great Mita who Naito retired in 2020 in the Tokyo Dome as well. So there's that connection as well. Uh, you say going to Sonata had like a 90 odd percent win record in the, in the last year going into it, which is best percentage, winning percentage of a champion going into the uh, Tokyo Dome defense, like equal to J. White the previous year. I think it's because also they both wrestled some international matches as well, like. Sonata went over to Impact to fight Jake something and everything, and he went to AEW as part of Forbidden Door. This was his fifth defence. Uh, again, he is, so far in the short history of the world title, he is the longest reigning champion. But he gets he loses to Naito here, 
And, you know, the commentators were given Sonali's flowers at the end of it. And then just when I thought they were going to, you know, as much as I loved this show overall, I thought Gail was about to ruin it because Evil and Dick Togo showed him. I went, oh, no, don't ruin it, please. Why Evil? Why does Evil need another shot at the title? And he's like, you don't even care about this belt, Naito, so why don't I get rid of it for you? And then just from out of nowhere, Sonali just leaps back into rigging knees in my face like, fuck off. Not to fucking day. I know. So if the fans weren't behind Sanada after the match, they were like, yes, he suddenly became the biggest babyface in the Tokyo Dome after Naito just for getting rid of the House of Torture. This is like, thank you. Come again. <laughs> yes, thank you, Naito. Uh, thank you, Sanada. Thank you very much for helping us. Because <laughs> Chris Jotland was going mad because like, Naito was a baby dude's roll call and bloody evil cousin and Chris Jarrett was having a fucking eye. He was like, oh, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You ruined it. <laughs> uh, and then Sonata walks away. He's all overcome with emotion. He's got tears in his eyes as Naito finally does his, you know, he won obviously at, in 2020, but kind of ruined his roll call. So he got to do his roll call at the end of the Red Kingdom as the top champion. This was the, what I was all building to. And they're keeping the Naito Sonata thing going, so we'll see where that goes. But, you know, I like that it's the commentary seem to be saying that losing the title is actually going to help develop this new vert. Like, losing the title may actually be beneficial to Sonata's development, both as a character and in the eyes of the fans, where next time he maybe gets the belt, he might be a little bit more, he may get a more overall crowd support than he seemed to have gotten from some sections of the fans during his first title reign. Yeah, definitely. This is. I think it's good to give Sonata the belt. Uh, we talked about it before, and I feel that he's had a lot of bad things against him. Like you know, it's, it's not anything Sonata's done. It does partly come down to how the company books him and things like that. But it's good that he got a good lengthy run. He's developed more as a character. He's got the new stable. It it can only go up from here. He can bounce back from this. Uh, I'm going to run through the results of New Year's Dash, and then we'll. I'll focus on a few key points that I want to talk about in terms of how they feed into uh, stuff that's coming up. So we opened up with what was maybe a singles match between Tanahashi and Toguchi, which then made, was made a TV title defence, which, which Tanahashi won in about five minutes. Uh, Bishamon defeated Kaido Kimi and Rohe Oiwa. I think they're on their way back to Noah. Goto uh, Nakashima and Oscar Loibe had their farewell match before going off on excursion, losing to ELP and Hikaleo. We had a uh, 12-man tag, Shoto Umino, Togi Makabe, Honma, Desperado, Wato and Tamatonga defeating the House of Torture. We had United Empire and Political Warlords going in a 10-man tag going to a no contest. Uh, Taka Michinoku hit the Michinoku driver and beat Bushi to help five guys beat uh, LIJ. Taiji Shimori won the POPW champion, he's the first provincial champion of 2024, and the main event saw TMDK's Saxon Jr., Mikey Nichols, C.N. Hayes, and Kozi Fuchsia defeat the team of Tomohiro Ishii, Tsuchika Okada, Brian Danielson, and John Moxley. I'll start with the TV title stuff. Uh, you particularly were not happy with this very comedic take uh, for a title that had been defended against all manner of opponents by Saxon Jr., I, I was absolutely outraged by the fact that Tanahashi had the belt to begin with. Um, then he pretty much made Taguchi 
pretty much kiss his ass on TV. It's like, I'm your new <laughs> boss. You will kiss my ass and I will pin you and you will <laughs> thank me for it. And then, and then, and then. they fucking got Matt fucking Riddle. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I, I forgot he was he had the King of Bros nickname because he's been called the original bro for so long. But, yeah, and it's, what's weird about that is we'll talk about he's getting a title shot in Japan. Like, have they recently relaxed the drills about drugs? Because otherwise, how else do you explain Matt Riddle even being allowed in the country? It's it's just absolute fucking madness as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if we can get proper Matt Riddle, like Bloodsport, you know, evolve uh, Matt Riddle rather than what we had been getting, then we may have a good match here. He's going to ask me how biscuit knees, but fucking Matt Riddle's knees can be fucking deadly. Uh, I, get you, I, I agree with you, a very literal case of kissing the boss's ass here. With, and actually, if, he's t- if his pants were very thin, he'd be wearing a fucking thong. But uh, yeah, he's, he made Taguchi the very first member of the Tanahashi Kiss My Ass Club. Oh, God. What, what, what is this world anymore? What is this? I, I have no idea. Okay, a very interesting role. Like, the jokes about uh, Tanahashi being, a double, being their double boss on the English comedy, like, no, he runs New Japan, but now he's the boss of New Japan World. Does that make him our double boss? And then Rocky Romero said, I'm going to challenge Tanahashi, and if I beat him, I want a race. <laughs> this, this could be the start of all the staff starting to have matches with Tanahashi with different grievances. <laughs> we got a lot of problems with you, Tanahashi, and you're going to hear about it. Uh, Nakashima and Loibe getting their send off like literally as they were coming out I thought when are they going to get their send off they feel like they've been around for a while they were around with Fujita and Oiwa and they two have kind of had their own developments and then they announced this will be their send off match like, oh fair enough they got a good <laughs> showing but lost obviously to the new tag team champions and uh, then the best comes out talking about oh, where are we going to go Europe we go back to New Zealand you know you've got friends in Mexico you go to Mexico and the They've been announced, Loibe and uh, Nakashima, uh, for a match on the 4th of February for Rare Pro, so it seems like they're going to spend some time in the... They probably could go to Germany, being Loibe free from Germany, but I imagine they're also going to be spending some time in the UK with Rare Pro, much like guys like Suji had done before. I do believe um, WXW has also announced um, Oscar. Uh, yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah, so they will also be making an appearance in Germany, the two of them. Yes, they'll be there on the 4th of February uh, for Repro in London as the other tag team being called Youngblood. They wanted to go on excursion together, so I imagine they'll be coming back as a tag team uh, in Japan, and they said when they come back, they're going to come for those tag team titles. Uh, so, yeah, good good luck to those two guys. It's nice to see, like, you know, I mean, we've been this as long as we have. We've started seeing these guys going through their journeys, and now it's like, ah, I saw him as a young lion. I can't wait to see him as a... As a as a full-fledged you know, member of the roster because you know, we saw you know, Uemura and Suji and Hero uh, Kedis but as young lions when we started this show and now look where they are that's it it can it can all come round full circle <laughs> so good luck to them uh, there was a challenge made to the champions after that match but we'll get back to that when we preview the new beginning tour they had a very violent brawl, which was really no contest after five minutes between the War Dogs and the United Empire. Uh, you had Akira doing a big balcony dive, which it looked like he landed on Bloody Osprey and hurt him more than he did any of Bloody the War Dogs. 
Yeah, the Gabriel kid getting busted open and cutting his back to his comments with a face covered in blood. Your guys getting put to the table, chairs being thrown out. And then Osprey said, announced that the 11th of February in Osaka for New Gang would be his last date as part of New Japan before going over to AEW and challenged the War Dogs to a 5-on-5 match and said that Finlay could choose the stipulation. And Finlay said he wanted no, no DQ, no escape, 5-on-5 steel cage match which will be the first cage match in over 20 years in Japan, and it'll be the first one to actually have fans in the building. Which is actually nuts when you think about that statistic. I know. It's nuts, and it's going to be the fucking semi-main event of that show from what I've seen, which is weird, because I think, like, why would that not be the main event? Like, what the fuck can fall a 5-on-5, I assume, will be very bloody steel cage match. <laughs> God knows. And, <laughs> don't know if you've seen these back to you had fucking these guys yelling at it like kind of back to you had bloody bloody crimson mask Gabriel Kidd yelling about Eddie Kingston how much he wanted to beat him for the strong title you had uh, Akira and the UE's kind of back to you having a full on breakdown like you know I went to war with you you know we had the coffee match like I we, we got the belts back this is what we wanted like I'm not prepared for this I didn't sign up for this and He's kind of shaking himself the prospect as five and five, and like you got an arrow try to see him, like, hey, 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 snap out of it. And get yourself together, man. <laughs> and weirdly enough, based on that back to going to Osprey's like someone needs to step up and basically imply that someone else could take over leadership of the group after he goes to AEW. Based on this backstage comment, and you know, TGV sent forward to see he's going to fight Finlay at Battle in the Valley. I'm wondering, like, are they setting TGP up to be the new leader of the United Empire? Very odd, odd choice. Because when we know the true leader is the great Okan, all hail. All hail. I know. If, it's, if it wanted to be a foreign wrestler to keep on with Osprey's tradition, then I would say Jeff Cole would be a fine leader or the great Okan. You know, one of those two is the leader. But TJP, I mean, I get it makes sense. He's kind of a veteran, even though he, he's been longer, around longer than people would realise. But it's a weird choice now. These two have got a title defence coming up on the road to New Beginning, so but hey, now we've got we've got poor Ikea having a bloody crisis of confidence, like like a kid, at, like a kid, a young guy at war, like I can't do this, man. Game over, man. Game over. Like step out of it. You weren't there, man. You weren't there. I saw you go in a coffin, man. You can't see, imagine the things I saw. <laughs> oh. But then we had uh, that four that four year match for the Kyoto which. After Yana's suggestion became a 10 minute scramble to see who could get the most pins in it, and whoever got the last pin as the time elapsed would be declared the winner. So Yano didn't get any pins. Yo got one about two minutes in, then Oguio Khan got a pin in the last five minutes, and then quickly afterwards pinned Yo a second time just to make doubly sure. Then Ishimori got his pin in, and after a roll up, and then basically spent the last 30 seconds playing keep away, breaking up pins, and running away all over in the barricade from Great Okan, who then proceeded to chase him with part of the barricade. <laughs> Which is an absolutely beautiful sight. I mean, I don't know why else, how else to describe this bloody match. I mean, it was probably also interesting, but it felt like a KOPW match in, a, in the biggest way possible. And fair enough to Ishimori running around with the belt, running the barricades, <laughs> celebrating. And I'm happy to see him in a, in a title picture. It's, I'm very interested to see what kind of stipulations where he'll lean on the, in the spectrum of KOPW stipulations as champion. 
It's, it's interesting because he is technically part of Bullet Club, but he's not House of Torture, so there's a chance for some outrageous shenanigans, but within reason and not being completely dickheaded. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, kind of, I felt sad because I thought he was going to win. I'm like, but him and Hinari, like, it seemed like New Japan wanted to do big things with him. Then, like, you had Hinari, Khan, and Jeff Cobb lose the six man title shot uh, at one of the road two shows to the Tokyo Dome. And then he had Grio Khan lose here. I'm like, like, how can I believe that Hinari and Khan are going to do big things in New Japan when they can't even give them the never the six man or the fucking KPW belt, you know, the belts that are at the lower end of the totem pole? We can't give them. And those belts, like, how am I going to believe you're going to get the many opportunities at the bigger belts? That's it. So just fucking pull the trigger. Uh-huh. And then, at a team which had that little moment where they all stood for their photo, where everyone was comparing to New Japan's version of the Avengers, you had Okada, Danielson, Moxley, and Ishii all working together uh, to lose, though, to the TMDK. What I held the thing for TMDK, I think it was Ishii that took the pin after the tank buster from but when each member of the team was coming out like oh like they were like oh we sold dance and went back to the US for, for collision like being lied to in wrestling I never it's just it's, it's so funny <laughs> and one hell of a, a main event for, for New Year's and then you had you get on the on the, the microphone saying oi Dragon Box I want my rematch and then Benson throws his ice pack at uh, ZHA in the ring, who then takes it and proceeds to fucking punt it out the ring. And then you've got Kosei Fuji getting on the mic and said, Oi, Okada, I want me and Mike and Shane want those six-man belts. And then he go- goes over and looks at Tanashi and starts calling him out. And Okada's like, Okada basically did the comma, Gregor to Fuji, like, who the fuck is that guy? Who the fuck is that? <laughs> who the fuck are you? So yeah, big big fidget like you said, I'm not Team DK's young boy, I'm Team DK's Kosei Fidget, so it seems like, like I'm not a fucking young lad anymore, like I'll I'm prepared to go to it with Okada. <laughs> hey, fuck it, let's do it. Fucking <laughs> you want some. Uh, so that was that was two really hectic days of Ninja Pepper Wrestling, but we've got a lot to still to to look ahead to with uh Battle in the Valley on the 13th, it's the same day as TNA's Hard to Kill, which is why Osprey and Okada are on the post-Hard to Kill tapings, not the show itself, because they have to be on Battle in the Valley. But the, full, the card for Battle in the Valley is looking strong by standards of like the US shows for New Japan. But you've got Shoto Umino, Fred Rotter, and a wild Jacob Fatu uh, appears to take on Team Felty's Tom Waller, Royce Isaacs, and Jarrell Nelson. Masquerade, Dorada, and Verldor Jr. will take on Rocky Romero and Soberano Jr., TGP is challenging David Finley in a, a singles match not being declared to be for the the global title. Uh, and a match just for the strong tag team titles. Uh, ELP and Hikaleo defending against Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors. Julia in her eighth defence is New Japan Strongwoman champion. Challenges tr- takes on Trisha Dora. Matt Riddle and a mystery partner will take on Saxe Virginia and Bad Tito. Eddie Kingston, it says he a continental crown. It seems like kids are only interested in the bloody strong belt. Someone is he just defending one belt? Is he defending all three belts? What does this triple card even mean? But it's Eddie Kingston v Gabriel Kid. Eddie, no DQ match. Former Dragon Gate buddies Shingo Takagi and John Moxley will go at it, and Kazuchika Okada will take on Will Ospreay in the main event. 
a special singles match, which I'd, I'd imagine Osprey will win because, you know, he made a big deal of him winning against Okada before and, you know, this would be a chance for a big clean win and a match that he can probably go as long as he wants. That's, I've, I've got a good feeling about this this match because, you know, it's there's none of the shenanigans that were previously involved in their feuds, like when Osprey done the betrayal and became heel, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> this is just going to be a case of two guys trying to prove who is finally the better. And it's going to be nuts. Absolutely. Like the, like the way Shingo Takagi interrupted John Watson, like backstage comments, take down him, like he even mentioned Shingo before, then like, you know, Osprey, he talked about Osprey, like, uh, he talked about Osprey and he's, uh, Osprey and Shingo and he's busy going to after wrestling, like, Shingo, Shingo was never a junior heavyweight. I don't know what loophole he got through to, to get in that division. Because he mentioned, because uh, he mentioned that because also Shingo and Osprey fought in the Super Junior final when he made his debut if it's just Robinson for the US title on the same show, it's like, Shingo was never a junior heavyweight. Uh, so then Shingo the next day, I forget how good Shingo, good Shingo's like English actually is, as he chants, I'm like, you, me, little in the valley. Uh, so that'll be the whole thing. Like, those, like, they're literally the top three matches, at least, the top three singles matches, of, well, they all look like they could be bangers, even with the rest of the card chain, which I don't think it will be, but these three matches could fucking define the whole card. These three, even if the rest of the card was a, a maybe, the these three matches are must watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to see ELP and Hikolo defend the belt separately because I, w- I would have thought like with the whole like strong belt being absorbed in that triple crown that they were going to like we're going to do unification of the two strong and IWGP belts to kind of fade out the strong belts, but it seems like they're still a thing. At least when they go to the yes, they're still a thing. That's it. It's definitely it's it, it pays off big time. Uh, and then Julia and her eight defense against Trishadora. Uh, the rumors are still still rumors are still running rampant about her going AW and looking more and more likely every day. So don't be surprised if Julia drops the title here because if she drops it, there'll be confirmation of she's on her way out. Yep, that's it. She's she's off to NXT. She's gone. Wave goodbye to Julia on her way out. <laughs> it, any guesses as to who the mystery X could be in uh, Matt Riddle's corner and to team with him against TMDK? I've been thinking, and honestly, I have not a fucking clue. I was trying to think of names relevant to him that are still out there on the indies that like would make sense. There's somebody who I was thinking of, because he had an interaction with them both as a partner and as an opponent in NXT, but he's wrestling more so in Noah. I was trying to think, what if they got Timothy Thatcher to be his partner? That would be absolutely unreal. Um, another one, although I think it's unlikely, would be what if they just, you, you mentioned about about him? A wild Jacob Fatu appears. Yeah, he's resting off on the, on the undercards. Like, so if you want to do double duty, he'll have at it. But could be him, could be Timothy Thatcher Hill, could it be fucking at, at, uh, Josh Barnett, because like, he took over the Bloodsport thing from Matt Riddle when Riddle went to WWE. So those two like former MMA guys going up against TMDK would be interesting. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, after how rough an end to 2023 we had with New Japan, they're bouncing back strong. Like, if you think every single belt changed hands at the Dome, that's a big reset. Oh yeah, 
like that was a shocking thing. Like I didn't maybe I didn't agree with all the title changes that happened. I was happy for most of them. Maybe not the the junior the TV title one, but look at watching it back and like Jesus, like literally every title change ends. Like everything, like I think it's the same. Oh, every title's going to change. It makes you think, what's going to happen to the world title? Could the world title still be retained? Be the only one that that doesn't change hands? Ah, uh, no. But he said they're very much the beginning of a new year for New Japan, like with Wrestle Kingdom and New Year's Dash and. As much as we were shitting on them last year, towards the end, it proves like it's like other companies like WWE's done in the past. Like when instead of team shit on the biggest stage, New Japan can still fucking pull it out. It can happen. Miracles happen. <laughs> so yeah, they bought us a couple more months of interest to see where this all all leads to. But I'll go through the big matches that have been announced for. The New Beginning Tour, where we have in the top two matches for the New Beginning in Nagoya on January 20th, that's the first big show of the tour. We have Taiji Shimori defending his KOPW Provisional Championship against Great Okan, all hill, in the semi-main event. And the main event will be Evil challenging Tamatonga after the fallout of that big chaotic 12-man tag that they had. If I lived in Nagoya, I'd be fucking raging when the New Beginning Tour comes come around. It feels like uh, it's the first stop you're, you don't get your hopes up for your main event because the highest championship you'll get is either KOPW or the Never title. That's it. Bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. We, we save it for the more important towns. Fuck you. <laughs> and I'd be especially more annoyed with a thousand Nagoya because it seems like very likely that Evil won that main event if Tamatonga's leaving. Because... As soon as he set up him with the belt, and then you remember, Tama said, oh, this will be my last month. I'm like, oh, no, don't tell me Evil's going to win the belt. Don't you put an evil on me, Ricky Bobby. I mean, where all the opportunities is he got to drop the title if he's leaving in, at the end of January? Like, they're going to they're gonna spite Tama for leaving, but then fight. We're going to have you lose to Evil on the way out. No. No. Ah. The next big match. Uh, big matches are happening on the 23rd on the road to uh, New Beginning. Uh, we're on, on a road to show, mind you. I'm surprised some of these matches are being put on road to shows, not on the big shows. But we're going to have an semi-main event. Master Roto taking on show. And El Desperado will challenge, will defend his championship against his former friend and former tag team partner, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. On the 24th, we have... A big match. We have a tag match in the semi main event of Naito and Hiromu taking on Doki and Sonata. And the main event is a singles match between Shoto Umino and Ren Narita finally having their singles match. I believe there's some other big stuff coming up on some of the Road 2 shows. I think, I think it's on one of the Road 2 shows, there's a big match between LIG and Just Five Guys, like a 10 on 10 match, which is being called like an ult- Ultimate Warfare style match. Where like it's basically a winner stays on gauntlet thing. Like it starts as a single match between two members of each team. Whoever loses, like it's Taka and Bushi, and Bushi loses, and like Kuroma comes in, and then because it's a winner stay on gauntlet, a five on five style match until all members of one side have been eliminated, which is a weird concept. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be interesting. It's something different, and you know sometimes New Japan needs a bit of different. Hmm. On the f- 4th of February, we're going to have the rematch from Wrestle Kingdom when Catch 2-2 take on Bullet Club War Dogs. 
And uh, just under that, the three matches that precede that are going to be UAE versus War Dogs singles matches. We're going to have Hanari v. Gabe Kidd, Jeff Cobb v. Coughlin, and Callum Newman is going to take on David Finlay. Uh, in Osaka, on the 11th of February, we have the aforementioned cage match. Actually, oh, I was wrong. That's going to be the main event. The semi-main event is Brian Dyson's Axie Virginia Part 2. And and after that, we also have the heavyweight tag team champions. Uh, I believe it actually says here that the EOP and Hickler are the 100th team to hold the, uh, the holders of the, the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles. They're going to defend against Chase Owens, who attacked them after the match with the Young Lions at New Year's and said, I'll bring a guy with me to challenge for those belts that you guys remember. And he said it was Kenta, who both Hickley and Fantasio have issues with. So Kenta and, Hickley will, Kenta and Chase Owens will challenge Hickley and Fantasio for the Titan titles. We also have the aforementioned Team DKV, Okada, Tanahashi and Ishii for the six-man Titan championships. Oh, that's only getting up to a second. We're still not finished with this tour. Because then we have two nights in Sapporo on the 23rd and 24th of February where we will have the TV title between Hiroshi Dashi and Matt Riddle and we'll have Nick Nemeth challenging David Fenley for the Global Championship. And on the 24th, we will have Shingo Takagi v Taichi in a singles match. Yuya and Tsujiro all fight in a singles match. Takel fight Bushi. Uh, Hiromu and Doki will fight in a singles match. Uh, whoever wins, no matter who wins in their global title match, there'll be another tag match in the, in that night between David Finlay and Gado versus Takuchi and Nick Nemeth. And also the main event being a rematch of the Tokyo Dome between Sanada and Tetsuya Naito. I, think, I don't think I missed any, any of the matches, but it seemed like everything that was possibly set up got announced here. And like I said, I'm surprised that some of the title matches, especially in the junior division and some of the singles matches, uh, like with Narita and Shota, are being put on road to shows rather than the actual new beginning shows themselves. But maybe this is part of Tanashi's thing about selling out the smaller towns in the road to shows. Like, let's put bigger matches and get people to come to all the shows. All of the shows. Oh, so I think it's fair to say at, at late January into February, like most of February, that'll run up to. It's going to be a fucking stacked old month. Like, I don't even know where we're going to find time to fit shows in and that one, but. So many big matches coming up there, like the continued war between UE and the local world, as well as just five guys now, just basically continuing in various formats. So finding ways to keep these feuds first, going up to the big like blow off the big new beginning shows. Definitely. There's there's they've really given us some interesting new matchups. And I am sure like when they didn't announce Finlay and Nemeth for Battle in the Valley. I actually thought, because they announced at the Wind Trust, they're going to do uh, Windy City Riot in Chicago on April 12th. And when uh, that venue is a pretty decent-sized venue for a New Japan Strong standard. So they're going to need to announce some big names to try and fill that. And I actually thought they were going to do the Nemeth Finlay match at that show, try and see if any appeal from Nemeth being in WWE would help translate to ticket sales on that one. But I guess they proved me wrong on that one. Uh, they may have been a mucker, have you? They have. They've been a mucker, I mean, not for the first time. But I like that they're doing these like series of singles matches leading up to the main event for the world title on the on the final night between Five Guys and uh, LIG. And also love when buddy Chris Charlton made Takamichi finally getting a win with the the Michinoku driver for the first time in ages. 
seem like as big a deal as JR made bloody Barry Horowitz beating Skip back in the nineties. God, that's that's a little bit of a throwback, that. <laughs> Taco wins, Taco wins. And as a bonus, we got to hear we didn't get to hear the Just Fight Guy stream when it ended. We got to hear his theme the Taka is coming. Motherfucker. Oh, what a moment. And then so now obviously challenged Naito afterwards and then basically said to him, No, get the fuck out of our ring. Well then well he didn't say fuck, but he, that was basically his sentiment like, get the hell out of our ring. Get the fuck out of my ring. Get out of my sight. You, did, you may have won at rescuing them, but I went tonight. So this is our ring for the, for the close of the show. Now, fuck off. <laughs> now, after a headache two days to work to recap and having to read out that list of all those matches that are coming up, it's really wearing on my throat. So we're going to have to wrap this show the hell up because we're going to go for nearly two hours. But this is the Wrestle Kingdom special here. So you got to figure this one being one of the longer episodes that we'll do this year. And maybe we'll try and fit in a show midway through the... Uh, the new beginning to when there's maybe a lull if you can find one to talk about what's happened so far and talk about uh, Battle in the Valley. Uh, and also, Okada and Oswald have appeared in TNA, so maybe we can talk about those appearances as well. But until next time, thank you for listening to East Means West. Make sure, like I said, to follow us on all good Android podcasts, sites, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, give us a like, reading, review on your chosen platform. And follow us on social media at SuperFlexReachy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Join the Facebook community page to check out all our upcoming content and all future episodes of East Meets West. Take out the back of East Meets West. Take out our Just Five Guys Festival special, which was our last episode, as well as our show where we did our airing of grievances. That was a fun time. But Grant, as much as my voice is not thanking me right now, I will thank you for joining me to talk about two of the biggest days in the New Japan calendar and a I think it's fair to see our outlook is looking a bit more positive for New Japan going forward. It's definitely after how doom and gloom it was at the festivist point where I, I was honestly considering jacking it in if Wrestle Kingdom was shit and they weren't setting up anything good afterwards. They have thankfully reversed all fortunes. Thankfully so. So for me and Grant, thank you for listening to one of the longer episodes of East Space Best that you'll hear on this uh, show. So thank you everybody. Have a good one. We'll see you next month for our new beginning. Bye-bye. Coming out this Friday, the 12th of January on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Network is our feature show on Rey Mysterio. Yes, that show is hosted by myself, Quackeradri. Joining me on the panel is Andy Mitchell, David Altney and Daniel Campbell. Make sure you're subscribed, whether that be on Spotify, Apple or Android podcasting networks for your Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet feature show on Rey Mysterio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.